Hello again and welcome to the Elevate podcast, a podcast where I speak to founders and business leaders from Singapore and around the world. So for today's episode, I'm really excited to have Tim from Waiter because it's something that I've had a personal interaction with. So for those of you who don't know what Waiter does, this will give you a quick overview about what they do from a consumer standpoint. So I remember I was having this meal at this pizza joint called Pizza Express. And of course, because of this pandemic, they had introduced this QR code menu system. But I remember it having this built-in ordering functionality inside. And this really stood out as traditionally QR code menus were really only helpful on the browsing side of the menu. Uh, But it really doesn't help the service staff and the service-related concerns. And so that was my first-hand experience with Waiter. And with that, I'm really delighted to have with me the co-founder and chief operating officer of Waiter. So Tim, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, so let's get started. So tell us a little bit more about Waiter, how and where the idea originated, the process behind setting it up, and how you're doing in recent times, especially with the reopening of F&B outlets in Singapore. Sure. So the the start of Waiter was back in 2015, so well before COVID and well before the pandemic. Uh, and my co-founder, Tim Vekaza, his family comes from the restaurant operations business. And so he was always looking at creating a startup in the, in the F&B space. Uh, and he service was a, the big opportunity for him. And so he was actually, the, the impetus was actually driven by a poor experience in a restaurant. So he went to a particular restaurant where everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Like they were seated and they didn't get their menus. And then when they wanted to order something, they couldn't get the attention of the staff. And then when they ordered the food, the wrong items came. And then when they were ready to leave, they couldn't get the attention of the staff to pay the bill. And so all of those elements sort of compounded into a terrible experience, dining experience. And that was sort of the, the catalyst for him going, I think I can solve a lot of these elements with tech. And he, he looked around at some of the tech which was on the market at the time. So things like food ordering kiosks, which are relatively recent. They're probably more recent than that, but that was one of the innovations. The other one was tablets on the tables. And his, his view was, why do we want to do either of those options when everyone's got a mobile in their pocket, which has you know, ordering and payment capabilities built in? And so, hence, Waiter was born. That's the origin story. I joined in 2017. And so I joined a little bit after that and I, yeah, helping to grow the business. Uh, in terms of how things are being impacted by COVID and what have the changes been as a result of that, the, the, for us, it's, it's really, really tough for our restaurant partners. And so they suffer all throughout COVID. 2020 was a horrible year for our restaurant partners. And it was a really tough year for Waiter because the revenue going through Waiter declined and took, and took a big hit. Uh, in the short term, that really hurts. And obviously, we empathize with our restaurant partners, and it's 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 horrible. The good news for the industry in the long term, and the good news for waiter in the long term, is that it's an opportunity for restaurants to look at what they're doing, look at how they can improve their efficiency, and then they call someone like waiter. And so we had a, a huge increase in inbound leads during the pandemic. Uh, we've had an increase in utilization by our current restaurant partners, and we've had an increase in the number of restaurants that we're working with globally at, off the back of COVID. So short term, it really, really hurts, but long term will benefit. Yeah, what you mentioned is true. From what we can see during the pandemic, companies around the world are trying to digitalize their operations and the F&B industry is no exception. 
And I think Waiter is just one of the ways that the F&B industry can further improve their service operations. And with this current success, what are your long-term plans for Waiter in the long-term future? How do you plan on scaling your business and how many countries are you guys in? Uh, we're currently in five countries uh, and we'll be adding additional countries in the coming uh, two months. Uh, so we launched during COVID uh, outside of Singapore. So up until last year, we were only in Singapore and then we launched in the, in the remaining four countries uh, during it. Um, in terms of growth, the plan would be to expand further in Singapore. So Singapore has a massive restaurant population and waiter can increase our penetration here. But at the same token, because of the digital nature of our solution and the fact that recruiting and retaining good wait staff is a global problem, then waiter will go where our customers want us. And so typically uh, right now, that means first world countries, like developed countries where there's a higher cost of labor and higher mobile penetration and higher number of POSs that we integrate with. Uh, so those, those are sort of our, our focus areas for now. Yeah, so this is an interesting point because in the same place where I had the pizza, I also went for another meal in the same mall, Scott Square, called Wild Honey, and Waiter was also implemented inside. So I can see that you guys are continuously growing, and I hope that you guys will continue to grow because it's a great idea. And one of the things that I came across while reading articles and researching for this podcast is that, and I quote, waiter orders often yield 20% extra higher ticket sizes. And this is an interesting quote because what does this really mean? And how does the psychological aspect of ordering through a phone play a part when increasing ticket sizes for F&B? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of elements of that. Uh, we sometimes get into conversations with restaurant owners about how does waiter compare to a really well-trained staff member? And I think a really well-trained staff member who understands their audience and understands the elements of their menu could probably achieve a 20% uplift as well. The challenge is that you can't recruit and retain those people. They're really hard to find. And even if you do have a great employee, sometimes they have off nights where they forget to you know, provide that premium level of customer service. Whereas a digital solution means that they're, it's always available, it's always upselling, and it's always providing that premium level of of service. And so there's two components. One is, or three components really. One is automated upselling, which means that when you add an item to your cart, if you've structured your menu correctly, then it will automatically prompt you with modifiers. So this, the stereotypical example would be you add a burger to your cart and normally you just say, I'll get the burger. But with the system, it'll say the burger is X dollars. Would you like to add avocado for 50 cents? Would you like to add an extra slice of cheese for 20 cents? Would you like to add some beetroot for another 30 cents? And so just by offering those options in a really easy, really fast way to order means that people automatically add them. You could do the same thing with any menu item. So a coffee could have, would you like soy for an extra dollar or would you like almond milk for an extra 50 cents? So those elements are things which it's difficult for a staff member to ask even the really good ones, it's it's difficult for them to ask that without it, without it coming across as pushy and salesy, whereas when it's nice and seamless and built in, it doesn't feel like an intrusion. So that's part one. Part two is the cross-selling. And so the you would have seen it in a number of different avenues, but you know when you add a particular item to your cart, the system can automatically recommend things which pair nicely with it or can recommend popular dishes. And so that's that's the second bit. And then the third one would be freeing up staff capacity. So 
if you use a solution like Waiter where you're automating the transactional elements, which is the order taking and the payment processing, then you're freeing up staff time to provide that premium level of customer service. So on top of the automated elements, the staff will be available to provide recommendations and answer their questions, which will lead to you know, increased customer satisfaction and likely increased ordering. Yeah, I think something interesting that you mentioned was the opportunity to upsell. And I wanted to ask, do you think that you are targeting specific markets within the F&B industry or are you targeting like every restaurant? Because some restaurants require more sort of TLC compared to others. Yeah, it's totally fair. So we we don't go after fine dining as a general rule. Uh, we do have a couple of fine dining establishments on Waiter and they're offering Waiter as an option during COVID so you can have contactless ordering. But it wouldn't be mandated and it's certainly not even encouraged that you have to use it. It's just if you want it, it's available for fine dining. But as a general rule, there's not a good alignment between Waiter's ordering and payment solution and the fine dining segment as at today. Because when you go to a fine dining establishment, typically you want a level of service and you want to be able to you know, verbally place your order with the staff and you'll provide that premium level. You'll get that premium level of customer service inclusive of the order taking, which while Waiter can demonstrate proof customer service by using our tech, it's not a good fit with the fine dining environment and establishment. People just don't like ordering on their phones in a fine dining place. So we typically avoid it. Uh, as at today, who knows in the future when when adoption goes goes higher and it becomes the norm and the speed and the efficiency it might become the norm in fine dining as well especially if you if your solution is you know presented well we also don't go after hawker centers or roadside stalls in you know in other countries and the reason behind that is the average ticket size is pretty low which means the cost of credit card fees is almost a, a an insurmountable barrier and also you've got some challenges around educating the the stall owners about using tech uh, not, again, not an insurmountable barrier, and you certainly have a large number of hawkers who you know, use all the delivery platforms and can be up for it. It's just it's, it is more difficult when there's lower transaction, sorry, lower average ticket size. So our sweet spot is anywhere between quick service restaurant up to pretty fancy casual dining. So we play in that, those areas in all of the different cuisines and all of the different styles, restaurants, cafes and bars in those buckets. Yeah, and I'm sure that with the increase in digitalization in the F&B industry, I wanted to find out more of how you guys stand out from the crowd because there are quite a few competitors in Singapore that while they may not do exactly what you guys are doing, they're pretty similar. For example, you have your tap square, your novelty. So how do you guys stand out from the crowd? Is it sort of a better mousetrap? Yeah, I, a lot of it comes down to understanding of the industry. And so the fact that Tim W comes from restaurant operations means that our solution is very restaurant friendly and we're, we're optimized for dining. And so if you look at some of the other players in the market, they don't handle large menus quite as well. And so if you're dealing with, so for example, a delivery style uh, menu where, is, where you've got size scrolling, for example, uh, is not well suited to a restaurant that has you know 40 different categories of menu items let alone that's the categories alone not the menu items themselves you could have hundreds of menu items so if you look at you could have you know pasta dishes plus meat dishes plus uh, starters desserts and then a whole bunch of different alcohols so all of those things could lead to a really big menu and so waiter is optimized for really fast navigation so that's one so optimized for dine-in hence hence the name waiter 
The, the next one is uh, POS integrations. And so in the dining environment, there's a certain sophistication that you need uh, in order to uh, efficiently bring food to the table so you can provide that great customer service. So if you look at, I'm using delivery as the example, they'll often provide just a single tablet or single printer or a single device. And in a, in a fast paced big kitchen, that wouldn't cut it because if you're if multiple guests are placing orders and they need to go to multiple stations, just having it it's all, all appearing on a single station is inefficient and doesn't work. So POS integrations is, is a big part of what we do. And then the third one would be providing white label solutions. So we provide solutions that are branded to the restaurants that we work with. And so they're not just building you know, waiters brand, they're building their own brand and waiters powering the tech. Yeah, for sure. And not just to like lick your boot or anything, but out of all the QR code applications or menus that we see in restaurants, I have to say that Waiter offers the best user experience, at least in the ones that I've come across. And so that's great. And something that has been really important maybe in the last decade is the presence of venture capital firms, especially for new startups. So I've read that you're involved with Accelerating Asia. So I wanted to know more about that experience how it was like and how this experience has benefited you and waiter as a whole yeah so me personally versus the company i mean we're we're a relatively small company and so uh, there's not much of a difference between the the co-founders and the company as a whole in terms of the benefits that we receive the the program accelerating asia is it's beautiful alignment between us and them in that they invest in the companies that they accelerate and so not, they sort of put their money where their mouth is. And so it's, they've got a vested interest in growing you because they've put money into your company. So that's part one. The next one is that the style of the, of the investment is that they target a certain level of development of your company. And so all of the companies in your cohort are of a similar level of development, which means that you can learn off each other and you're probably experiencing similar challenges or opportunities. And so you can bounce ideas off your you know, the other members of the cohort and learn from each other as you grow, which is pretty cool. Uh, the next one is Accelerating Asia is a pretty tailored program. And so uh, I didn't speak about our origin story before in terms of, I mentioned that we are all about enabling people to order and pay for food and drinks on their phones. A big change for Waiter was that we used to be B2C, meaning people had to, business to consumer. So people had to download the Waiter app in order to place orders at our restaurants, uh, which was a, a massive barrier for a dining environment. And so last in 2019, so beginning of 2019, we switched from being B2C to being B2B, meaning we changed our pricing model, we changed our text structure, and we enabled people to order and pay on their phones via a browser. So you scan a QR code, it brings up the menu in the browser. And so in that transition, we using someone like Accelerating Asia, we were able to get their advice on, okay, we've made we've already made the switch from B2C to B2B, but now we want to accelerate our growth. So, you know, what what advice can you give us or how can we learn about two two elements? One is improving our fundraising, which we've you know successfully done. And the second one is how can we accelerate our our sales with a B2B approach? because uh, we prior to that, we were you know relatively B2C focused. Yeah, I think that really showcases the benefits of going through these programs as you then have the opportunity to, well, in this case, change your business model and to change the way that you're thinking about these issues. And I guess, Nick, I wanted to know more about yourself, where you came from, your early career, what made you jump into the startup space, given that you've worked in different MNCs. 
Yeah, sure. My undergrad degree was in information systems and business. And so I was, a, I was an IS guy and a business guy. Uh, and then I joined a bank uh, where I was working for six years uh, across a range of roles, uh, mostly in analysis. Uh, and then I went and did my MBA at a school called Babson College, which is number one in the world for entrepreneurship. And that was where I met a whole bunch of people who were right into the startup scene and into, into entrepreneurship. And I, I was excited about it, uh, but I wasn't quite ready to jump across to startups. Uh, and I got excited about marketing. And so I used the, the lessons and the courses that I took and some of the real world experiences that I got because we got to do some consulting to real businesses to build some, you know, literally experience my resume in marketing. So when I finished my MBA, I moved across to Unilever. So I was working in brand management for a food brand for, for Unilever. And, and brand management in a big FMCG like Unilever is kind of like running a small business within a bigger business. And so uh, when I was ready to leave uh, Unilever, my wife and I moved to Singapore and that was the opportunity to jump into startups. And so I joined my first startup when I arrived in 2014 uh, and then moved across to Waiter in 2017. Uh, and the, the way I, I joined Waiter is I got to know Tim Vekaza uh, just through the startup community. And so, you know, met him at an event. Uh, we were meeting up pretty regularly to share startup stories. And then we became friends. And then his, his wife was pregnant and due, due to give birth and he needed someone to run the, the team in Singapore while he took paternity leave. So I, I joined and then you know, I've been growing the business ever since. Yeah. And what made you choose this particular waiter project as compared to the many other projects and startups out there? Uh, two main things. One is Tim himself. So I knew him, he was a friend, I respected him. Uh, he was a smart guy and I saw what he could do and I saw the potential in what he was doing. So it was a lot of respect for him as a founder. Uh, that's number one. And number two was I tested the tech itself. So before I joined, I, I played with Waiter. I visited something like seven restaurants and I ordered using Waiter every single one of them. And it, I saw that it worked and I saw the key pain point and I was like, and I knew the size of the opportunity. And so Tim's pretty compelling in, in, his, in his enthusiasm for the product and for the, the solution. And so, you know, when he, when he describes how, how big the opportunity is in, in the F&B space globally, plus combined with the tech, it was, it was those two things. Great. And yeah, I think having experienced so many industries and companies and even accelerating Asia and starting with, uh, it would be cool to know what has been kind of the best piece of advice that you have received in regards to your career, to waiter, uh, and I think this would be pretty applicable to any potential entrepreneurs that are out there. The best advice when it comes to startups is, is get it into the hands of customers as soon as possible. So build a simple solution that solves the core pro problem and get it in the hands of customers as soon as possible because you'll learn a lot and you'll start solving their problems faster. They'll appreciate it and then you'll be able to build more solutions on top of it. So it's called, there's a whole range of thinking around it and, and it's all associated with this minimum viable product idea where you identify the core problem or the core feature that you need to, to provide. You deliver it, get it in the hands of customers, get their feedback and then build on that and continue to iterate really fast, really regularly while, while maintaining focus on the core solutions. So the reason that's the best advice for Waiter is it's, the, it's what we do in every aspect of our business. So from the tech to the sales to our expansion, each of those things are like, what is the core element that we can do and we can get in the hands of customers fast and get their feedback fast? And it means that 
we are able to provide a stable solution because we're not trying to build solve every single problem on the planet. We're trying to solve those core problems and we're able to do it really fast and in a really streamlined way. So one of our restaurant partners told us we were able to deliver a white label solution in 10% of the time uh, that a competitor was quoting them. Uh, and so, and, and the only reason we can do that is because we, we build only the core functions and we focus on mobile ordering and payments and we just do make sure that we do it really, really well. Yeah, I remember seeing somewhere on your website that you're able to deliver it in two to three working days that you can have the entire menu converted into the website in a really short span of time. Yeah, so a digital, that's, that wouldn't be a white label solution. So we're not quite as fast as two to three days for, for building a branded solution for a restaurant partner yet. Uh, although that's something we, we do want to achieve even faster if possible. Uh, as at today, if you've, got, uh, you can, if you've got a menu in any format, so you could have a menu which is a PDF or you could literally take a photo of the menu on the wall. Yeah, we can digitize that and have it branded with waiter, like using our st stock standard off the shelf waiter product. We could have a restaurant ready to go live in yeah, two to three business days. So you've mentioned moving to Singapore, having worked in Unilever. So what made, yeah, because a lot of startups end up moving to the US. So what made Singapore the starting ground for Waiter? Uh, so destination for me and destination for Waiter are two slightly different things. Uh, destination for me, I'm married to a Singaporean girl. And so uh, that, that was part of the, the reason. So my wife and I, we were talking about where we were going to live. And we, we were assessing the UK, uh, Singapore, and USA. And ultimately, it came down to practical reasons. Uh, my wife was a citizen, so she could find work really easily. We had family here who we could live with in the starting days. It would be pretty easy for me to get permanent residency uh, because I'm married to a Singaporean. Uh, and so that was a deciding factor. It was practical reasons why we, why we as a family came to Singapore. Uh, and we love it here. So that worked out quite nicely. Uh, in terms of why Waiter started in Singapore, so Tim W was studying his MBA at INSEAD, the Singapore campus of INSEAD, and he, he launched Waiter during his MBA. He won the INSEAD case competition with the Waiter idea. Uh, and so the reason why Singapore itself, there's a, a pretty strong start, startup community here, including you know, access to capital and things like that, uh, but also from a purely practical perspective for Waiter, uh, Singapore has a really high mobile penetration. It has a high cost of labor. Uh, and it, it historically has difficulties with F&B service because F&B in Singapore is not an attractive sec segment for people to work in. You know, people don't go out and they want to work in as a waiter. And culturally, people don't typically work part-time as a waiter while studying. It's just not something which is regularly done in Singapore. So there is this big need for quality weight stuff and so there's this there's this challenge that needs to be filled and so waiter can solve that yeah for sure those are all great points as to why you chose singapore and so since we have a little bit of an extra time let's go with something a little bit more personal so you've mentioned that you worked at unilever and you have a wide array of brands so what's your kind of favorite snack or anything that Ooh, Unilever provides. Brand. So Unilever is, yeah, obviously it's a massive brand with, with or a massive conglomerate with, with many, many brands. I think my favorite brands would probably be Ben & Jerry's. Uh, right. So it's it's got a really strong social element to it and the product itself is really good. And so like, obviously I like the ice cream, even though it's crazy expensive. Uh, but the the brand element, so, so Ben & Jerry's isn't afraid to make a stance, which is amazing given that it's part of Unilever. And so during the time that I was working there, it was extremely pro 
I can't remember. It was like pro-sustainability. It was pro, uh, you know, equal rights marriage. It was, it's pro everything. It's a, it's pretty bold brand for a, for a, a multinational. So Ben and Jerry's just because I like the fact that it's, it's bold and, you know, has, has sustainability, sustainability elements to it. And it's a, and it's a good product. I think that, that'd be my number one. And then there's, there's a, there's a bunch. Magnum's pretty good product as well. Yeah, <laughs> I've just named yeah, two yeah. ice cream brands, but. Yeah, that's it. That's the one that came, came to mind. This may be what you're leaning leaning towards ice cream. Yeah, that's right. When when you work for Unilever, you get free access to ice cream, which is pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds really great. And I 100% agree on the brand image point. And I think one of the most recent things that they did that really outlines this point, which you know might be a little bit controversial, but it's regarding Israel where they stopped selling ice cream due to the whole conflict. So yeah, they really aren't afraid of making bold statements. And on a sidetrack, having lived in Singapore for a while, what is your favorite Singaporean food? Ooh, favorite food in Singapore. There's, there's a huge amount of food in Singapore. Like the, whenever I've got people coming into town, I always take them out for like, there's, there's probably uh, chili crab, chicken rice, roti prata, chikwe. Those would be my top four things that I would, I would typically uh, consume, I would say. Yeah, I guess Singapore is kind of like the Unilever of food to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I love Singaporean food. So yeah, I, I, I whatever is on sale in a hawker center is is pre, is, is most commonly eaten. I don't, I can't afford to go out for chili crab every week. <laughs> well, you know, maybe in the future you would <laughs> if things with waiter go super well. But yeah, I think with that, you know, I just wanted to thank you so much for being a part of this um, podcast. And I know that waiter is just going to be a continue a continued part of this post pandemic F and B world. And I know that, you know, and I think that what you guys are doing is really cool and really special. And yeah, I wish you guys nothing but the best going forward. So yeah, thank you, Tim. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Xavier. Great talking to you. And so that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next one.